Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Draft series brought to you by Bet Online. I'm your host, Kyle Dvorak. You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Tweets here. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Travis May. You can find him on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. Uh, Travis, thanks for joining me. How's it going? We've got uh, maybe one of the more fun, probably I mean, outside of tight end, which I just recorded with Neil. The other positions are are fun for uh for dynasty league so are you excited to get into the oh yeah man and uh thanks for having me hop on here talk some i'm always good to talk some rookies talk some running backs especially especially in a a fun year like this that we were kind of looking forward to yeah it's super interesting i'm in like at least uh, i'm in enough dynasty leagues that i see a handful of teams that have like for multiple years just tank for this draft they're like ah, i don't like the way my startup went if i botched it year one I'm not tanking for next year. I'm not tanking for the year after that. They were tanking specifically for this draft. And I hate to say, it feels like that strategy uh, has a lot of merit now that we're coming up on it. Uh, before we get into it, I just want to remind everybody, if you don't already have your Rotovis NFL Pass, now is a great time to do it. Uh, just an incredible amount of tools and content coming at you for the draft. Uh, pre and post draft, we have you covered. You can get your 10% discount through rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. You know, that sub gives you just awesome access that is great for draft time, especially right now with not a ton of other sports going on. The NFL Pass is perfect. So, again, be sure to get your 10% discount for the NFL Pass at rotavis.com forward slash podcast. The first of those tools, which is a very useful and handy tool to have, is the uh, Rotavis uh, Scouting Index. It just aggregates a handful of different websites that are doing scouting and uh, tells you who the scouts like, who people who watch the film like most. And uh, I think one thing I saw, this might have been Amico is, uh, like in his modeling before the draft. This is a great proxy to know how NFL teams are going to view these players. Like, it is a good proxy for draft capital. So the first of these players who seems pretty much the consensus in mock drafts to be the top rookie running back, DeAndre Swift. Uh, there are a handful of, between Swift, Dobbins, and Taylor, a handful of options to go as both the top running back in rookie drafts and the top running back in the actual draft. So is Swift your first option? And what like what is there to like about Swift? Just tell me a little bit about him and what you think makes him a guy that the scouts love so, so much. Well, I think it's easy just uh, when you watch him, it, he kind of <laughs> kind of jumps out at you just because he's got a few really fun moves that he kind of repeats. He's got his, his dead leg juke. He's got a fun quick spin. He's got a, a f- like pretty much fast, I, I would call it his deciding step. You know, I think a lot of people that love to grind the film love his his first step. Once he knows where he's going, he gets to where he's going quick uh, with that decision making. So I think a lot of people love what they see with Swift uh, from a film standpoint. Obviously, he didn't blow it up as as far as production goes, like a few of the other running backs in this class. But uh, that's not really what Georgia has been doing. Uh, really giving the reins to just one running back in the past, really several years. I mean with uh, Nick Chubb and, and Sonny Michelle and then Elijah Holyfield and DeAndre Swift. The Swift really did kind of take the reins a little bit more so this year because they didn't have such a uh, a prominent second option to go with uh, thanks to the injury of uh, Zamir White, 
or Zeus, as, as some call him. But DeAndre Swift, I mean, even when he was a freshman, true freshman, he was catching more balls than, you know, even Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle uh, were on the same team, even though he was the running back three back then. But he's he's done a lot of good things for a very long time. Uh, and really, even though Georgia just runs right at you and you know that's what they're going to do, he finds a way to want, uh, win anyway and just shows that he can be effective. So uh, impressive just all around as a running back. And I, I think while he might not have the the as impressive size speed score as a Jonathan Taylor, uh, and he might not have the 2,000-yard season that J.K. Dobbins has. There are a lot of things going for him that a lot of people like. and So he's going to be going in all rookie drafts pretty early this year. Yeah, I think uh, out, like there are some outside contention for J.K. Dobbins, but mostly from what I've seen, it is very clearly this. It, it's DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor. And there is a significant, not perfect, but a significant split between how much you value film versus like numbers, analytics, as to who you like. I mean, for me personally, I think, I mean, I mean, for literally everyone making the rankings at Rotovis, this is very funny. You look at Blair Andrews, Curtis Patrick, Dave Cabin, all the way down to Siegel and Calkins. Everybody has Jonathan Taylor one, but then uh, J.K. Dobbins actually comes up as two, interestingly, DeAndre Swift at three. Uh, I want to know where you fall, and I do think, like, Swift is a very interesting player in that he parallels somebody from last year's draft, Josh Jacobs, in, in some sense very well, especially anecdotally, you can say, he plays at a, an SEC school that is just a running back farm. And yeah, he didn't get the opportunity to utterly dominate his backfield, but uh, he was productive. And most importantly, it, it appears as though Swift, like Jacobs, is going to have the draft capital backing him. And that's, at the end of the day, that is going to be our biggest indicator of what he's going to do at the NFL level, especially in terms of volume, early career volume. Not only that, I think Swift is is in that mold in the sense of he was never the like unquestioned bell cow at his own school. But he basically does a lot of other things better. Uh, like, Jacobs was notably an awesome pass catcher. That's one of the skills he brought. His college target share was not anything like that of DeAndre Swift, who's got over a 10% college target share. That's the 75th percentile. He didn't dominate. He only had a 35th percentile dominator. But he was massively efficient. He over six college yards per carry. That's above the 75th percentile. It shows me that he can easily do... He can easily be more efficient with the increase in volume. You kind of get that seesaw of, well, players who, like Derrick Henry, control their entire college offense are not going to be the most efficient players in the NFL in, or in college football. But that's kind of okay from prospecting because it shows you how much they can take. His yards per carry, DeAndre Swift, tells me that he could have taken on much more volume and still been very efficient. His 40-yard dash, 448, is great. His burst score based on uh, uh, his vertical and broad jump, the 62nd percentile. He basically checks all of the boxes I want a guy to check outside of college dominator. And for me, the assumed draft capital, he is easily the betting favorite right now at any sports book you go to, to go uh, as the first drafted running back. The combination of all of that, I feel very confident that he is, if it weren't for Jonathan Taylor, who I love so much, I wouldn't have any qualms with him as the 101. So I think we're in agreement that he is he is in contention for that spot. I think it's, I don't want to say splitting hairs because I love Jonathan Taylor, who we will get to soon, but uh, he, he's a fantastic prospect. And like you said, the scouts seem to like him outside of the dominator. He checks all the other boxes. Uh, just overall, like does everything other than the dominator you could possibly want in the draft capital is going to seem to back that up. So now we have second. Uh, second, in fact, is not even Jonathan Taylor, who everybody at Rotoviz seems to love. J.K. Dobbins. So you want to tell me a little bit about Dobbins and why maybe people are taking him over Taylor or mocking him over Taylor? Yeah, so I think uh, 
really from the beginning, uh, J.K. Dobbins was, you know, he was supposed to be the guy. You know, he was supposed to be the guy to, to succeed. And for a long time, he was because, you know, he, he had an opportunity to jump out and from his first college game just explode. And so there was all this hype surrounding J.K. Dobbins and what he could be because he immediately usurped Mike Weber right away. And at the time, Mike Weber was a guy that, you know, people that played Debbie Leagues and people that love college football thought was a pretty good back. But then he showed up and clearly was the better option and had 1,400 yards in his first season. Now, I know Jonathan Taylor also exploded and had a, had a crazy dominant season, but that that's that wasn't anything new for Wisconsin backs. And so I think um, just the for a long time, it was the pedigree of Dobbins and really his high school athleticism. I mean, looking back to his, I know it's measured differently, but, uh, you know, he had like a 40 plus inch vert, uh, ran a really, really quick 40, like, I think four four five in high school. Uh, verified that is and so there's a lot of hype surrounding him for a lot longer uh, and so I think uh, there's there's plenty to like with him and he went to the the school that happened to go to the playoff and so there's all this hype surrounding him just even further and longer than there was with Jonathan Taylor because Wisconsin just they're always good enough to kind of act like they're they're in it until they face a really tough team and so I think um, just because there's some there there are certain narratives surrounding Wisconsin and Wisconsin backs and I think a lot of people just still like rating Dobbins over him um, even though we didn't get to see Dobbins and and really frankly impressed most likely anyway with Dobbins uh, at the uh, combine um, you know he he came in a little bit lighter I guess but with him I think we already know he's super athletic we already know uh, he can. Uh, catch the ball we already know that he can do a lot of things and he's got the pedigree so if he gets the capital it seems like a no-brainer so I think for some people they, they like that um, but Jonathan Taylor has the just otherworldly size speed combo and he questioned answered all the questions in in his uh, final season at Wisconsin with the receiving so I think I think the, the closer people look at the profiles they realize that that is probably Taylor, but I get if you're just looking from kind of a, a 30,000 foot view, it's like, Oh, Dobbins is a clear answer given the pedigree. Yeah. So I guess uh, like we are sort of building to this peak of, of Jonathan Taylor <laughs> yeah. Valhalla. Uh, like, I, I mean, you and I and everybody at Rotoviz, is like all of like, like, I mean, truly some of the sharpest people in the industry at Rotoviz are all picking Taylor one. So we are building to that Valhalla, but before we get there, maybe we should talk about generally what are, what are you looking for in a prospect? And I'll, I'll espouse that after you do, but what are you looking for to running back prospect? Why is it, what are we so excited to get to about Taylor that is a, a truism across all prospects that we like? What do you like in any prospect, not just Taylor? Well, in any prospect you, you want, I mean, it, it, no one has a perfect profile, right? But you, you want them to to show that they can carry the load in a backfield and you want them to, to be a certain weight and a certain size speed ratio. And you want them to have the draft capital uh, but, um, you know, when they have just about everything and they have the receiving profile, they have the, the efficiency across really extensive volume that's just impressive. Even, and like I said, with Swift, it's like when you know, when a team knows that you're going to run it right down their throat and they can't do anything about it anyway, that kind of game-changing player that just takes over regardless of what the opposing defenses do from a, from a film standpoint uh, I like that, but from a number standpoint, obviously you want to see the uh, backfield market share and the receiving uh, yards market share, uh, and really um, that until this past year, that was going to be a question 
for Jonathan Taylor. He had only had, I think, 16 catches total in his first two seasons uh, prior to his final year. But he came up, came up, showed out, and actually caught 26 balls for 252 yards and five touchdowns. And so when somebody rounds out a profile like that, there's less questions to ask, you know. I mean, he always he has the athleticism, he has the receiving profile, he's got the size. There's there's really not much left to ask, and so um, they're all things. It's really just a, I I might value the film aspect of it more so than some of the Rotoviz guys do, uh, but really when when there's no almost no questions on film and there's almost no questions when with the production profile, that's what you want to see, and that's why we're so high on. Jonathan Taylor this year. Yeah, I think you summed it up very well. A few things I just want to double down on is size adjusted speed, especially right now when you look at like these peak NFL players, uh, like like your Miles Sanders, your Ezekiel Elliott, Derrick Henry, Leonard Fournette, all of these guys have a few commonalities. Saquon Barkley, maybe more so than any of them, they are just incredible athletes. And especially when they have enough of like the actual production that the NFL values them with draft capital, that's how you know that they are going to be able to back up that athleticism, or at least that's our best indicators. These great athletes who then the NFL says, we are going to give you a chance. It's not like uh, like a Jarek McKinnon or like a Niall Davis, who are like these iconically good athletes who never got the chance. You know, we, need, we still need volume. And once you get the draft capital, or at least some semblance of draft capital to affirm that, uh, that's really how I, I feel that we know these guys are going to be successful, or at least have a decent amount of success and the other big thing for me is, is i guess i'll have two more college college receiving production whether that be in terms of target share i know i think scott barrett uh posted some stuff on twitter about this another way that is really good for prognosticating who will be effective in the nfl is uh, actually how efficient they are as receivers so both college target share and actually doing a decent amount with that target share and then finally just college dominators just generally speaking when you look at the top nfl backs very few of them. Like Josh Jacobs is like Josh He's Jacobs and probably <laughs> major. Yeah, he is like maybe Alvin Kamara to an extent. There are very, very few guys who transition from being committee backs at the college level to NFL workhorse backs. That just like it, it doesn't like it intuitively makes sense. Guys who can't beat out other college running backs are not going to beat out stiffer competition at the NFL level. And maybe Jacobs is the perfect exception to the rule because he has college or he has NFL talent around him in college. But generally speaking, it is so easy to just be be so right when you just put a red X over guys who aren't dominant relative to their their peers in college. So that's probably the three ways I would look at it, or maybe I guess that's four. College receiving production, because that's really what matters in the NFL. Uh, college dominator, because I just want guys who are going to get a lot of work. Uh, draft capital, because that's like a truism across any single position. And then a size-adjusted athleticism. Those are what I'm looking for. I love that you mentioned, though, like the Alvin Kamara and, and Josh Jacobs being an outlier and, and what they are and why that happened. I think, I mean, many times, I, I think you just understanding the, the context is, is so important. And I know some people use context as, as an excuse. But I, I'm just, for me, it's, it's really important to understand the full picture and, and understand why a player might have had the career that they had. Like even, even another guy like Miles Sanders who did – Virtually nothing until his final year. Well, he was behind Saquon Barkley. Like, there's a reason, you know? And, like, even with Josh Jacobs for a long time, and, I mean, he was never, when he came into Alabama, he was never supposed to be the guy. Like, he was he was a late commit to Alabama, 
And yes, he was a, he was like a four star talent, but no, he was never supposed to be the best back there. He was he, he showed up and he was maybe the third or fourth option and wasn't asked to be the guy and really wasn't even given the opportunity to be the guy until his final season. Alvin Kamara, another example you gave, one of the only successful transfer running backs to ever work out in recent NFL history. He was he he also initially went to Alabama and was never supposed to really be the guy there ended up having to transfer and fight his way onto the field for snaps. And then when he finally got him, he was incredibly efficient and showed that he could be an elite athlete at the same time. So the the full picture, that the context surrounding those situations, finding those types of players, that's that's what that's what gives me hope for DeAndre Swift because I understand why he didn't absolutely dominate his backfield. You know, just understanding the full full story of, of running back is so important. Before we reach Jonathan Taylor Valhalla, I want to give you guys a second to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll get right back into it. So we will catch you on the flip side of the break. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be dead wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas straight to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. And we are back. Uh, we've covered the top two of the Rotovis Scouting Index. That, uh, surprisingly to me at least, and I, it seems like it'll be surprising to you as well, uh, DeAndre Swift and J.K. Dobbins, both fantastic prospects. I think uh, like you should you should be thanking your lucky stars if you are selecting at the third, fourth, or maybe even fifth pick in, in your rookie drafts that uh, you got that late of a pick this year as opposed to other years where that drop-off could be very steep. You're still going to get a great player. But uh, I think if you're picking at one or if you're fortunate enough for him to make it to number two, you should be very, very happy to get Jonathan Taylor. I, I think everyone at Rotoviz agrees. There's been some great work on this, like at Rotoviz. He is just, he's the closest thing to a perfect prospect. I think he, he easily rivals guys like Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, Leonard Fournette, and Christian McCaffrey. I think that would be my top five in the past four or five years. Of prospects, he is on that level. One, you look at his his production, averaged over 2,000 yards per season, three years in a row. Uh, like one, just to never like suffer any serious injuries for a guy getting that much work and doing that much with it is incredible. Uh, he is still young, uh, much like Swift and uh, Dobbins. All of them will enter the league at the age of 21. He's young. And uh, he peaked as a receiver, like he or he had a peak as a receiver, as opposed to his first two seasons. He was not really uh, like he just wasn't a guy who did much, if at all, in the receiving game. And then he finally broke out at the end of his collegiate career, checking that final box. Like that's I think that's the one concern people still have because yeah, he only did it for one year. He had 26 receptions on 36 targets in his final college year, 252 receiving yards. But that final season is very good. It gives him a 76 percentile college target share. And that's the last box we need to check because, uh, as I mentioned, one of the other crucial indicators, size-adjusted athleticism, start with speed, a 4-3-9, like, that, he is one of the fastest running, like, he will be one of the fastest starting running backs in the NFL before you adjust for the fact that he is 5'10", 226, that gives him an 89th percentile BMI, he's the same height as J.K. Dobbins, but he's, like, 20 pounds heavier, like, he is 
just moving so much more mass at such a assumedly faster pace because you can get combine testing on Dobbins, uh, plus above average agility, above average burst, uh, bench press, whatever, I guess it's a 27 percentile bench press. Every, every smarter than me person who has built models to understand how athleticism impacts running backs has shown that bench press means nothing or next to nothing. So, that, you know, I, I think he is very close to a perfect prospect. What, like, I guess you should start, what, like, what flaws can you find in his game? I mean, there's not, there's not a whole lot. Uh, I think if, if there's anything early on, I think uh, there, there may be some hesitation to hitting a hole that's not wide open. And if you watch Wisconsin, there's a lot of wide open gaping holes because Wisconsin, they just, they groom offensive linemen to uh, dominate in the run game. And that's just kind of how they win. That's how they've won for 10 years. And they're going to do that for another 10 years. Uh, so I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does when he has less space to maneuver with because he can run over people. He can run around people, but that's a stop and start elite agility. Uh, I'm not sure that that, that oftentimes really showed up um, just from, you know, just raw film standpoint. And really, if you look at his agility drills, they're very average uh, for, for a back. And obviously with, with his, him, him being a bigger, thicker back, he's not always going to be, um, the most agile and kind of tiny Darren Sproles agility. It's just impossible to ask of a player. But I think that those are, if, you, if you're going to nitpick, those are the areas that um, I might have questions on. But from a just a raw profile perspective, there's virtually nothing. Yeah, so one interesting thing, uh, I mean, there's so many interesting or just tantalizing things about him. Looking at the, uh, the Rotoviz Prospect Box Score Scout basically gives us an idea of what players who have produced like a Jonathan Taylor or anybody you would want to enter into the system, uh, what they have done in the NFL or who they look like. So for Taylor being just a career rushing yards per game monster, like one of the best to ever do it, uh, like receptions per game, uh, especially when you look at that he peaked later in his years, final rushing yards over 2000, his market share numbers at like out of the root, like just everything about him looks great. Before giving him any draft capital, his closest comps are, in order, Ezekiel Elliott, Darren McFadden, Leonard Fournette, Noshawn Marino. Uh, then when you go down the list, you get Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, and Christian McCaffrey, uh, an older school one, Jonathan Stewart. Like, it is just littered. And the interesting thing is that, like, that it seems, I would say, it seems rather likely that he doesn't get into the first round. Most of the mocks you'll see have only one running back, and that's DeAndre Swift. He could be an early round two guy, and when you give him early round two capital, one name that comes up even as he pushes his draft capital later in the second round is Dalvin Cook. I do think he, like, in terms of usage, that could be something we see uh, just, like, the all-around skill set, maybe not, uh, like, as much, or like a Joe Mixon especially. Like, he might go to a team that is just not very good, but still just gets so much work, just doesn't get that, uh, like, that same pedigree of a Leonard Fournette, of Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, like who, like when you watch him and when you see the numbers, who do you think he looks like? And what do you think of like, how do you be reasonable projecting this guy, especially if the NFL says he's more of a second round pick, he's more of that, that Joe Mixon class of running back and not quite, uh, or even Dalvin Cook, not quite Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon. He's not that bluest of blue chips. How do you project a guy who we love so much, but the NFL says good eh, not great. Well, it's like, um, I, I think everyone thought that Darren McFadden was going to be the good and great type player. I mean, just with his draft capital being early first round years ago. But it's like it's like they they saw him not work out and be perfect, and then Jonathan Taylor comes in and kind of looks like that. Um, 
and really could be a, a better Darren McFadden. You know, I think if, if, if things really work out for him, um, I think that's the kind of player that I see uh, him. I mean, in fact, if you do enough, I'm, I'm sure you can probably get it to look pretty close, especially if you give him, you know, back in day one capital with the, the box score scout. I know I've done some finagling and found some fun comps uh, myself, but I think McFadden looks a lot like him quite a bit. Uh, they look like each other. If, if Jonathan Taylor had the capital, I bet they'd be right there side by side. Um, especially like early first capital. I think they'd be right there side by side. And so I think the NFL, they need to just come around and realize that Taylor really doesn't have much questions. Um, but uh, I think he's like a better Darren McFadden for me. Yeah. I think one thing, especially going into the future, I'm not sure if we're quite there yet, or at least making these wide sweeping changes. One thing we'll have to think about going into the future though, is like the NFL is undoubtedly getting smarter. It is a slow, it is a painfully slow process. We are, uh, like, Still, I feel many years, if not decades away from anything close to what we'd consider optimal football, both in terms of on-field like play decision-making and, and GM-level decision-making. But as we go through the years, a high second-round pick will not be the same as it was a few years ago. A late first-rounder will mean a lot more than it did in the past few years because the NFL is realizing that these running backs, while, like, yeah, we can all agree, like, like Jonathan Taylor could eat me alive with his athleticism. His biceps could crush my skull and then he could snort my skull dust. But that doesn't mean what he does is necessarily the most valuable in the NFL. It is borderline replaceable even. Uh, so I think going forward, we have to sort of view these prospects as uh, like their draft capital relative to their peers. If he ends up being the second running back taken and he's not awfully far behind DeAndre Swift, if Swift say falls like the mid twenties, Taylor's a high second round pick. I feel very comfortable closing that gap and still, for me, ranking Taylor as my running back one. Now, if the NFL really likes Swift, he goes top 15, and Taylor, for some reason, he falls behind Dobbins. He falls behind another player and slips to the late second. At that point, yeah, you have to at some point concede that either the NFL knows something or at least they're going to give these guys the work as if they know something. So you won't see as much work from Jonathan Taylor early in his career if he gets taken, like, you know, closer to the third round. So I think that's probably how I'd square that if Jonathan Taylor does uh, does end up going behind multiple other backs. So that brings us to now our fourth back. This is where it starts to get interesting. I feel like there's a very clear tier break here. I still like our next few guys, but the next back we have is uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So Edwards-Hilaire is is probably the most different from, like, he's m the most different from almost anybody we're going to see in the top 10 is uh, what do you think about his game being such like a, a small, tiny, but very productive college player? What do you think is going to translate? Or like, I guess, do you think it's going to translate? Is a more pressing question. I think it can. I, I don't think it, uh, it definitely has to. Um, and really, we, we'd say he's a really productive back, but he really was only productive for a year. You know, he was kind of getting there uh, in 2018. And I commend him for sticking around because I think a lot of people, when they're not given the reins, and they're not, you know, they're not supposed to be the guy. They they transfer, you know. But he didn't. He stuck around and saw what what it could be with the offense and and Joe Burrow and all the high flying receivers and everything around him that really set him up to be in a perfect situation to succeed. To just ride the coattails of one of the best college football seasons we've ever seen and might ever see uh, with the the 2019 LSU season. So I think it's great. I think he he he's fun because unlike. You know that, that that agility, that short that short area quickness, to to use the uh, the just term that should probably go away forever. Uh, <laughs> Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a lot of fun because he just 
he could make somebody miss inside of a phone booth to make another cliche. But he, he really is just a lot of fun to watch. And he did clean up his profile and, and he did catch 55 freaking passes last year. So if we think that he can re- reproduce that uh, in the NFL, then I think we're looking at a player that, that really reminds me a whole lot of uh, Ray Rice before he kind of lost his marbles and decided to, you know, we, we know what he did. But with, with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think there's a lot to like in his profile, especially his final season. But I, I wonder, I do wonder how much of that was just the offense uh, and, and all the pieces around him that made that possible. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree. I am looking at his profile, and you see he 5.5 yards per carry is completely pedestrian. It's almost exactly 50th percentile. His college dominator, uh, rather low. Mostly that is, though, I'm looking at player profile as college dominator because his offense around him, the passing offense around him, was so prolific. Like, you know, there is no amount of rushing yards he feasibly could have done to, like, outproduce a, a solid, a, not a solid, a historic passing game. So that, you, I, at least the way that's measured, I don't knock him for that that much. But then you look like I think the box score scout does a really good job uh, of pulling this out is that like his, his market share, his overall, I, I don't want to say lack of production, but yeah, outside of his final year of college, yeah, a lack of production does not bode well because before you give him any draft capital, he looks like guys who didn't get drafted. He looks like like Kerwin Williams is his first uh, is his first comp. He looks like just guys who don't end up making a huge uh, impact. You give him good draft capital. You give him second round draft capital. He looks like guys who went significantly later. Guys who are primarily projecting to be like these receiving, I don't want to say specialists, but they make a lot of their money as receivers in the NFL as opposed to rushing between the tackles is probably more valuable for the NFL than uh, like than they are for fantasy. Like when you give him decent draft capital, James White is a guy that comes up. DeAndre Washington, Javorius Allen, uh, I believe James White is probably one of the more valuable NFL backs at his peak because he gets a team to do something that is better than running the ball. Even if it's throwing dump offs, that is still better than running the football in terms of like expected points added. So he's a guy, and I feel like this has kind of become a cliche with Henry Ruggs, but he's a guy who I could see adding more to an NFL team than he ever adds to your fantasy yeah. team. And that's okay for the NFL. It's probably just something I'm going to fade at his uh, assumedly probably the fourth to fifth um, running back off the boards in dynasty leagues. That's something I'll fade at that cost. But I still think like that's still, he can still be a really talented NFL back. He can be an above average, a well above average back in terms of what he adds to like, to the bottom line, to scoring points and winning games. That doesn't necessarily make him like a darling for fantasy. And I'll probably at least be below market on him from a purely fantasy perspective. Yeah, but he's somebody that I think more than, more than most in this class does need the perfect opportunity around him. Uh, the, you know, if, if he goes to a situation where he's not immediately, obviously the alpha, I'm okay completely uh, pushing him down my board a little bit and, and taking some other options. Cause I mean, like not everybody can jump in and be a, a smaller back and, uh, and uh, less than ideal athletics, uh, athleticism, like, you know, Devonte Freeman and just succeed. You know, he, he succeeded because he was in a perfect opportunity. And I think that's more so than some of these other backs we've already talked about what Edward Solaire needs. Yeah, so our next and final back of uh, of part one of the running back breakdown is Cam Akers. Uh, Cam Akers kind of the uh, the opposite in the sense of didn't play on this like massively prolific offense. I mean, nobody played on an offense like LSU almost ever, essentially. But uh, like production all the way dating back to his freshman year with over a thousand yards yards uh, on 194 attempts was scoring a decent amount of touchdowns and then had his best year as a what would be his junior season where he went for 1100 yards scored 18 times 
And, I mean, in the sense he does have a similar receiving profile, uh, over again, over 10% college target share, that's 78th percentile, uh, not the raw numbers, but when you adjust for the fact that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire played on the best offense in the history of college football by many measures, uh, Cam Akers really looks to be a very well-rounded prospect. He's got uh, he's got great size, or at least very adequate size at 5'10", 217. That gives him a very solid above-average BMI. He's, he's fast. He's 4'47". Like, this is... This is, uh, he feels kind of like a no-brainer for me, especially relative to the cost. Like, there are so many good backs in this class that he's going to be the fourth, fifth, sixth back in your dynasty leagues. Uh, like, is there anything I'm missing just seeing that he's undervalued? Uh, I think especially for those that are just, you know, tuning into their in-depth rookie analysis in January, which is probably 95% of people that love dynasty and love fantasy football and follow the NFL. Uh, but Cam Akers has been the dude for like five years. Like everybody in high school recruiting, they were all over Cam Akers since he was like 15. You know, it's just like they, they he's been a no brainer for a very, very long time. The dude ran like a four, four ish, uh, 40, you know, in high school, uh, everyone knew he was going to show up to the combine and just crush it. So, um, yeah, he was, he was undervalued coming in and I think, it should have surprised nobody that he was a sub four five speed guy, even at 217 pounds. And, and it was amazing. He even had any positive yards this past year, because again, context is incredibly important. The Florida state offensive line has been bottom five among all power five teams, probably for the past three years in a row. And the quarterback play has been suboptimal to be incredibly, incredibly polite to those quarterbacks there. Uh, so it's it's been a joke since he he's been there and he made the best of a of, of a horrible situation. He kind of saw a dip in production his sophomore season, but fought through anyway. Still caught a lot of passes, made a difference, and carried that offense to any any remote any, anything remotely close to relevant uh, this past year with Tamori and Terry through through the air. Uh, but uh, really was a, a joy to watch because he he would just create after contact after contact after contact, and that's the kind of monster he can be. And, and be in an alpha role, dominant role uh, from day one in the NFL. So that will bring us to our close for the first half of the breakdown of the running back position. Uh, but stay tuned. The next episode will be probably running back six through 10. And then just some guys that we feel, uh, even though they didn't make the top 10, are guys we are interested in. And as much as I love Jonathan Taylor, and I think DeAndre Swift could have been the RB1 for me personally in other classes. J.K. Dobbins has a lot to like. Cam Akers, these guys are all at least I would predict them all, uh, maybe not Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, to be instant impacts uh, from the day they are drafted or from the day they take the field. Uh, we know, You know that. I know that. If I'm trading with you, say, uh, you, Travis, you have the second overall pick in our dynasty draft, I'm not, I'm not gaming the system by trading for that second pick from you. I'm not... <laughs> We both know this. We're both working on the same information. Yeah. The Where you're going to make your bread in this draft is picking out from the tier three, tier four guys who you think is going to break out. Like the guy who owned David Johnson two or three years after he was drafted, he's the guy winning championships. As much as the guy who took Leonard Fournette 101 made a solid pick, uh, you know, he, it's fine. You and I both know he was going to get a lot of carries and be productive in some way. So this is really where you can make your bread. So for myself, for Travis, we will catch you on part two. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. You can find us on Twitter at KyleTweetsHere for myself and at FF underscore Travis M. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Road of Draft series. 
please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on your favorite podcast app or contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 10% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.